0: Service, please. You're listening to the Food and Travel podcast with Paul Feinstein. 209, now arriving.
1: Anywhere you want to say it, I can get us in anywhere. Here's the most interesting man in the world, Paul Feinstein. She's a foodie, she's a world traveler, she's an international recording artist, and she has a lot to say about the current state of the world. On this week's episode of the podcast hosted by me, Paul Feinstein, I have an insightful conversation with Noelle Skaggs, one of the lead singers from Bits and the Tantrums, as we dive into food, travel, and the fact that the world is on fire. As a touring artist, Noelle finds herself in random towns all around the globe, which has sparked the travel bug inside of her, and inspired her to seek out the best meals and dining mates no matter where she goes. But it's also given her great perspective on the pandemic, representation in the food and travel space, and the importance of the protests around racial justice. It was really a treat to speak with her, and I hope you enjoy our chat. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you on the other side.
0: Flight 209, you are cleared for takeoff. Roger.
1: All right, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am your host, Paul Feinstein, and today I have a very special guest with me, uh, Noelle Skaggs from Fitz and the Tantrum. Say hi, Noelle. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I think people may be confused as to why I asked you specifically to come on my podcast, but um, people should know I think we're kindred spirits in a couple different ways. One, uh, we were both born in Denver, Colorado and have lived lived in Southern California for a long time. I know you're no longer there, but there is that. But two is that I think we both share this uh, obsession with food and travel. And we're going to talk a lot about that today.
0: Yes, that is all true. That's amazing that you're from uh, my home, my home, well, my birth town, I should say. <laughs> Your I grew up town. in LA. <laughs> my birth, my birth town. I was there until I was about six years old. But I, I still have the, uh, the lung capacity for high altitude, which I, have, I think I have to thank Denver for that.
1: Yeah, I have it. I have that too. Like I go back and like I'll go on a hike in the mountains, but I'll go with friends who are not from there and they'll just be gassed and I'm I don't have any problem at all. Yeah, just, totally fine. Yeah. Um <laughs> I wonder if that helps with your singing. Um so so anyway, I want to get first just a little bit um like where are we at the moment and like where were you when the pandemic hit? I assume you were touring uh you with your new album but I kind of want to understand like what that life cycle is like and where were you and where are you now and what's happening in that and in, in your world?
0: Well, uh, you know, before the, the news of the pandemic really started to, you know, kind of flood the media and, 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 everyone's minds, we were on the road for our winter tour. Uh, so we're looking at what like January, February, I mean, no, cause we didn't, yeah, it was around four, February through about March and our last two shows of the tour got canceled. But up till that point, you know, a few of us had had colds and, you know, we're dealing with the winter tour life. And, you know, I don't think it really uh kind of, you know, kind of impacted our 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 team, you know, like within the band until closer to the end of the tour because, you know, then phone calls from home were starting to, you know, pour through and people wanting us to come back and all of these things were happening. And uh, I went back to LA and then I flew home to Nashville. And I had a, I had a little get together here at the house, which ended up being the last get together I've had here at the house since March. Um, That's <laughs> it's, so sad. You know, it's so <laughs> sad. It's so sad. Because uh, I'm such a like hospitality, like I love, you know, hosting people and, and cooking people food. But normally this time of year, I'm not even here. I'm normally on the road somewhere and, you know, enjoying the tour life and 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 finding new places to roam with my dog.
1: So how far in advance, like, is it all planned out? Did you have this whole year planned tour-wise?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We didn't even get an opportunity really to, you know, actually announce any of the touring that we were going to have, um, which was kind of pool too because you know we hadn't announced a tour yet so we were able to kind of push it back till next year with you know a lot less with a lot more ease and I think a lot of our peer groups you know who had already announced their tours were able to do Mm -hmm. um yeah you know most of the time the touring is is kind of set in stone the year prior oh wow
1: okay and was that going to be all over the country or all over the world or
0: both, uh, we were looking at international and uh, U.S. North uh, America.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I know. So I want to talk about travel a little bit. So before I get into Adventures with Skags, which we're going to get into uh, in full, but yeah, so when yeah. you are touring, I know a lot of bands um, when they tour, they don't really get a lot of time in one place to you know explore a city uh, just because they're going from place to place to place to place. How do you find that? time to explore the area that you're in while you're on tour
0: um honestly because we have so much downtime so it depends on our day so say we don't have any promo going on promo meaning like going to visit radio stations there's you know four four of us in the band myself Fitz, our 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 bass player joe and our keyboardist jeremy often do all of the radio promos so we could have one or two of those in a day. Um, normally, what I like to do is I try to find the time, you know, because we don't really sound check that often. You know, you know once you kind of get into the tour, you don't have to do as many of the sound checks, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I spend that time where we would normally have like, you know, a couple hours of sound check. I'll go out with the dog and, you know, kind of walk around the neighborhood and do stuff. Or if I don't have her, I kind of, you know, I, I use my Yelp, I use my chef's feeds, um, I use recommendations from friends, you know, from all walks of life, namely my chef friends, I'll ask them, hey, do you know anything about X, Y, and Z city, and, you know, where to go, and they'll, sometimes they'll know, sometimes they won't, Um, and I just, you know, kind of like, you know, scan the neighborhood, and I find a spot that kind of calls to me, and I'll go in, and it's rare that I'm, I'm ever let down.
1: That's so great um i'm yeah. so i'm so jealous of that of, well i mean i get to do a lot of that in what i do as well but um it's just such a fun way to explore these places that you're already naturally going um yeah and finding just gems everywhere which is you know that's the fun of this of the job that i get to do obviously because writing about food and travel that's the whole point is finding those gems so it's so I'm, yeah it's awesome that you get to do that it's so exciting
0: yeah, touring helps, man. You know, it takes the, <laughs> the the pressure off the wallet of you having to get to a place, you know. But then also you're 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 really kind of forced to try to find, you know, you could be in cities that are not, you know, largely populated areas. And it's hard to find, you know, good food sometimes, but you can sometimes find like the the local diner or the cafe or the up and coming, you know. Um, downtown area that has, like, a small street patch of, you know, uh, young um, uh, Gen X-owned businesses and, you know, that are really trying to make things cool and hip in those areas or a really fun bar, Um, you know, it it seems like every city has something to offer, even when you don't think that it does,
1: you know? (laughs) Totally. There's always a hidden thing. Um, There's always
0: a hidden thing.
1: Do you have, like, a top three just blew you away when you were in this place or that place?
0: Omaha, Nebraska (laughs) was probably the most surprising because it was our first time going to Omaha. I had no idea what the food scene was going to be like there and I was blown away. Downtown area, the old town area of Nebraska is insanely great. Um, uh, I I can't leave out Chicago. Chicago is just, it's a food town, you know, it's a, it's a food town. You go there and you you can eat everything. I think it surpasses New York in that, in that, in that sense, you know, I think they're both kind of equally amazing kind of food, food but I never not eat in Chicago. I do three meals a day in Chicago, you know, (laughs) on a, on a, on a day run. Um, (laughs) and, and, And the late night, and the late night snacks and cocktails, too. You know, you can pretty much do anything all across the city there. Uh, so, Chicago is amazing. Um, and I'm trying to think of the third it kind of blew my mind when we went there. You know, obviously, me, me living in Nashville, that's kind of a thing. And I don't remember the first time coming to Nashville prior to me living here. Uh, before all of these, you know, farm to table restaurants and, and these fine dining places like Catbird Seat and all that stuff actually existed, I, mean, I came out here and my very first experience was at a, a restaurant called uh, Monel's. And I, I remember coming here with, uh, who was I with? Just like a random, just like a random musician friend of mine. <laughs> that I had met years before that happened to live here. And he took me to Monell's and it was my first experience eating in a community style restaurant like that, you know, oh, like so a family cool. style, they put all the food on the table and you basically pay per your plate, you know, so it's, you can get whatever you want, all you can eat on that community table, all the, you know, the biscuits and the, you know, turkey and gravy and the collard greens. And all of the things that, you know, if you were, you grew up in the South, you know, uh, the Southern American style food is what you got. That's the best. Um, yeah, it's the best. So that, I would, I would say, I would say probably my first experience coming into Nashville and having that kind of experience because I hadn't had it in so long, because that was part of my, my culture growing up, you mm-hmm. know, that was a part of our holidays, Everybody in the family cooked. Um, that was just something that I grew up with. So I would. I'm gonna say Nashville. You know, even though it's slightly biased since I live here now.
1: Right. Well, that's fine. That's fine. You're allowed. Of, you're allowed to be biased. I always say L.A. because. <laughs> I um, but.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, yeah I would right, say so, Nashville.
1: So, do you worry that a place like that is gonna really struggle post-pandemic? Just like this communal think, table. Like, are they gonna be able to? do it in the same way yeah
0: I mean you know there's a lot of questions about whether or not any of these restaurants especially these you know smaller restaurants are gonna be able to make it just they don't have enough cash you know and no restaurant can make money at half capacity
1: it's so sad. and then
0: to you know all of the money that you really have to put in to navigate mm-hmm. all of the COVID you know restrictions and all of that stuff not every restaurant can afford to do that right. um, as far as doing in dining, but they're, you know, able to kind of, you know, pivot to delivery service and make that happen. Um, you know, it's, I, I I feel like the community of hospitality industry professionals that I personally know have really, um, put their best foot forward in making sure that they are helping each other out. You know, they're, uh, They're all working towards the same goal and making sure that these restaurants don't disappear. Um, I've I've
1: seen a lot of that, which is nice. And I'm just like, my fingers are crossed that it's like, we can get through this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The legislation needs to go through. I have to look up on my, on my phone right now, the name of the bill that's, that's on the table right now that they're trying to get passed through the Senate. Um, that would actually really do some amazing, you know, um, uh, funding for these these restaurants that really, really need it. These small businesses that really, really need the funding from the stimulus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're working towards that. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's hard to say. You know, uh, I, I feel like a lot of the restaurants that were already on the verge of closing are already done. Right. You know, I think those restaurants that are, are getting massive community support are able to hang on a little bit longer but do i foresee it if it's if this goes on for another year i i honestly i couldn't tell you i think people are going to start pivoting into doing more fine dining experience in private homes and and being able to sell food in that way you know yeah,
1: it's a weird catering route. businesses and stuff <laughs> like
0: that yeah in ghost kitchens
1: yeah. and i know it's uh yeah yeah. Um let's get on to a lighter subject. I want to talk about Yeah, um,
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> I want to talk about Adventures with Skags. Can you tell uh people what it is that uh you're doing? What do you want to be doing? What is it going to become? Just uh give us the whole spiel.
0: So Adventures with Skags is basically a kind of um a narrative uh you know storytelling platform for all of my food and travel adventures that I do. Um and the the coin adventures with skags actually came from a, a joke at a dinner party with some friends of mine in LA. And I don't know how the, the song came out of my mouth but everybody wants to drink with skags was kind of the thing and my friend <laughs> and my friends. And, and it was like everyone wants to eat with skags and then it became, you know, adventures with Skags because my friend was like, yeah, we're definitely on an adventure with Skags right now. So that's kind of how the name came about. Um, but it, it, it truly is. It's just, you know, my storytelling, my adventures, my discoveries, you know, uh, I'm an avid traveler. I love traveling. I've always loved taking, you know, photographs of the places that I go and visit. I love, you know, videoing the, the content and, you know, over the course of the, I would say, you know, the last seven years, I've, um, I've really gotten a foothold in, you know, the food industry, as far as the relationships that I've been able to create with uh, different chefs, James Beard Award to, you know, Michelin star chef levels to, you know, um, family owned restaurants and hospitality group owners. And you know, I've learned so much about their world and also learned so much about the parallels of our world. So mine as a musician, somebody that, you know, works on a project and tries to master it and present it to the world in a commercial space. is It's kind of the same process that, you know, an artist that is a chef tries to do in their kitchens in order to kind of create this piece of edible art that they can put in front of communities. And food and music go hand in hand in so many ways. So my idea really for Adventures with Skaggs was to really, you know, showcase that. this, you know, this traveling food loving artist who grew up cooking, you know, and all of my love of food and showcasing restaurants that I go to, you know, from this very personal storytelling experience. And not to critique, not to do anything but show love to places that deserve do it. Do really good yeah. <laughs> Make really great food and you know are, are are inspiring. Um uh and last year I decided to go ahead and change adventures with skags into more of a media group. So now my main focus is on developing original series content through my with skags brand. Okay. Um, you know, and I, I really want to kind of diversify the narrative, you know, diversify the space of storytellers within this. So when you're thinking about groups like Nomadist Travel, um, that really focuses on African-American average travelers and creating these group experiences, you know, and they have their TV and, you know, all of their content that they're doing kind of in the same space, you know? Because I felt like for so long, our um, travel viewing has been very, very dominated by mostly white males. And,
1: it definitely has. And, I, I, I'm, gonna yeah. have a, I'm gonna have a whole and, conversation <laughs> with you about representation yeah. in this industry.
0: Yeah, and then the other part of it is like, anytime it's really women-driven, it's always kitchen-based, mm-hmm. you know? So I wanted to make sure that whatever content that I was creating, it wasn't forcing somebody like myself to have to create the cooking show in order to get the leverage and the, the content, you know, the live or the live action, you know, streaming that everyone's doing in food and travel nowadays. Uh, so that's really what my company is focusing on right now. Um, I've developed a couple uh, series that before COVID, I was I was pitching out and a couple of them are now just on pause mm-hmm. until we know where production's gonna go. But the idea is to kind of get my own kind of hosted series off the ground and, and get media partners, distribution partners for that. And then I'll start doing casting, casting for different storytelling within this space.
1: Yeah, I it's so it's so interesting you say that because you're right, you don't you only see white. Men doing travel shows and mostly white women doing cooking shows. It's so, uh, it's so true. Um, so how yeah. do I like? If we see your stuff now, obviously that you have. It's on Instagram. Do you have a YouTube channel? Is there like how do we see? Obviously, you're not doing anything right this minute because we're all quarantined. Yeah, uh, we're all
0: quarantined. <laughs> well, I've been I've been actually focused on building my website. Uh, so that's that's been a process because I'm basically doing all of the writing. Uh, So I have a few things that I'm wrapping up, but I was hoping to get the website launched by August 1st. So that is adventureswithskags.com. So if people want to actually sign up to the uh, mailing list for the launch um, and to get info, it's adventureswithskags.com.
1: Cool. uh we're, I'm excited to uh to check it out when it actually when it when it comes out and hopefully you'll be able to even travel at that point. I like god I just read today, I don't know if you saw it, like the European Union is going to ban American travelers cuz we have not controlled covid. So it's just uh just one depressing hit after another. <laughs> um, yeah,
0: I'm I'm sure they're going to put in some, you know, thing if you're if you're tested and you have your test that shows negative, you'll be okay. Right. Um that would absolutely kill the touring. I mean, that would kill the businesses there. Not Hell that they, you know, it, 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 they need the international travel. They can't ban business people and people that bring in, you know, financial dollars into the space away.
1: <laughs> well, maybe, maybe that'll force everybody to wear a mask finally.
0: yeah i mean (laughs) you know i guess maybe they'll start whittling it down to what part of the country are you from which would suck even further but Uh, you know they have to they have to be able to put some things in place where you know your test or maybe you know uh tied to your passport or something so you know what i mean they can uh identify the people that are not of risk at risk
1: Right. Well let's let's hope there's some way around it. Cause I my wings being clipped has been very hard uh, in general. Because yeah. I have had so many trips, European trips actually, just in general, that I've got canceled already. But I'm hoping. Yeah. I'm hopeful. Um, did you have like I know I, I read a lot about you and I've watched a lot of interviews that you've given, of, you know, sort of grew up with food, you know, all around you. But did you ever have like a meal? maybe even later in life, that just said, you know, that made you just say, yeah, this is the thing. Like, this makes me want to know everything that there is. Like, was there a an eye-opening moment when you had something for the first time or uh, just a meal that blew you away where you just had to know more as a result of it?
0: I would probably say the first time that I had more of a fine dining experience. It was a collaboration with, uh, Ricardo Zarate, oh, Viet Pham, the FAM and, uh, the FAM out of, uh, Salt Lake and Jamie Bissonette. Jamie Bissonette is Ken Oranger's partner, um, uh, for Toro New York and Boston, Copa Boston, and little donkey in Cambridge. And, uh, I was invited by a food writer friend of mine who was also the curator for the smorgasbord, the smorgasbord um, market in Los Angeles, which is on pause right now because nobody can do the market, unfortunately. Um, But yeah, the weekend market there. Um, He took me along with a a former um, DJ host on K-Rock. And he said, Noel, come with me to this. It's a pop-up thing. You know, it's invite, you know, uh, whatever. It's already taken care of. I would love for you to go. One of the chefs is a major fan of yours and I want to surprise him. Are you down? So I go and the, and the surprise, the, the, the fan being surprised was Jamie and Jamie and I have become great friends since then, but it was that experience and having Uh, food on that level served by people that were near my age at the time. I think Jamie's actually younger than me. Don't Mm -hmm. tell him I said that. Um, But uh, yeah, his oyster, I remember having one of his oysters and I had at the, uh, shortly after uh, Ricardo had served piranha and I had never had piranha before in my life. And it was just, The flavor and the freshness of the seafood, and the care and the beauty of which the food was presented that was my like, ah, this is another level of food. Right. You know, because you have different levels of food. And when you get to that level, you know, where you're recognized as being kind of an iron chef, or you're recognized as being, you know, on the James Beard, you know, kind of uh, echelon of, of, you know, culinary artist and you know Michelin, you know, all of these things, you know, you've you've really worked your ass to get there. You know, I don't know if you can I'm sorry if I if no, I that a, a foul
1: can, word. You can swear all um, of that. It's totally fine. You know
0: <laughs> Yeah, it's it's you know it's kind of like when you think of, you know, the, the U twos of the world and, you know, all of these things, um, you know what you're getting when you hear their names and you walk in the door, you know what you're getting. Right. Um, you, you, there's an, you know, there's a level of uh, appreciation and a level of, um, of expectance that you're going to get when you walk into one, of you know, you're going to feel when you go into one of their restaurants. Um, so that for me was kind of like the ah moment. I want to do more with this and I want to, you know, show more of, These kinds of things, you know, I want to have more of these experiences. I want to travel for these experiences and see who else is doing this kind of work. You know,
1: I totally know. Mine was uh, eating sushi for the first time ever, and it was at—I don't know if you remember Miyagi's on Sunset. I do. (laughs) That was where I tried sushi for the first time. But I I felt—I felt—you know—like coming from Denver, I raw fish to me was the weirdest thing you could ever have, and I. Once I had it, I was like, oh, I guess I can eat anything now. And it's just been an adventure ever since. But that was, it was the crappy Miyagi's sushi that, that opened the door for me, which I thought was Yes. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have the same kind of like aha moment with travel as well?
0: Um, Paris, the first time I went.
1: Oh, it's the best.
0: Which was, first time I went to Paris was in two thousand and three two thousand and three was the first time I went to Paris. I was on tour with my band, my first band, not fits in the tantrums mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we were broke then we couldn't afford <laughs> to be in Europe, you know we couldn 't <laughs> afford to be in the Europe, but we were there, and uh, I remember sitting on the corner um, at, uh, at a bar. It was like, a, a it was a bar. It was just kind of on the corner. And I, and I, I, I vaguely, re- vaguely remember it being near the, uh, the Republic, which is one of my favorite neighborhoods now. Um, and I was sitting, you know, uh, another musician, friend of mine and, and two of my bandmates. And there was this, you know, kind of party going on in the background, but in front of us, there was this kind of chaotic moment between, uh, the the police officers and you know uh some residents of paris i, d- I don't know if there was a, a, sh- a strike going on or something but no, i remember sitting there <laughs> yeah i remember sitting there with all of this chaos happening in front of me but with all of this this beautiful background that i had never seen before you know this very different surreal experience so imagine you know i'm i'm looking at your your visual in the background with your with your zoom and you have this serene you know uh picturesque mountainous thing and you're sitting there calmly and just imagine what you're viewing in front of you is all chaos and that is exactly how i felt it was this moment of all of these um you know it was just this really insane feeling of being so calm and so happy, but also at the same time wondering what the fuck was going on. You know, like, just like, what is this madness? Are we gonna get arrested? So there's like this kind of slight internal anxiety that was also happening, but not enough to like ruin the moment. And I loved Paris ever since then. It's been one of, it, I go as often as I possibly can. I've been pretty much all over France by myself. Um, and I'm still discovering more about the country. It's one of my favorite countries in the world.
1: Yeah, I remember. Yeah, my first time being there, I was a backpacker, had no money, and couldn't appreciate it. And ever since um, having a little bit of money in my pocket, every time going back to Paris, it's. I mean, it, there's just nothing like it. I just think there's nothing. Yeah. Like it. It's such a wonderful place. I love it. I mean, I.
0: You know. And I'm oh, sorry. I didn't mean. No, to go you. ahead.
1: No, come. Cut me off. It's all good. <laughs>
0: I, was, I was going to say one of my, my, my favorite parts about uh, Paris is to be honest, m- most of the eating experiences I had in Paris had nothing to do with restaurants. They were all, you know, social gatherings in people's apartments.
1: They uh. were dinner
0: parties that I would throw, that I would have friends bring friends over, and we'd have these wonderful long dinner parties. There were uh, parties on the terrace of someone's backyard in the country. You know, all of these experiences had everything to do with the local, um, you know, resident hospitality. And I didn't really get in. Yeah, I didn't really get into restaurants up until I would say two years ago. And I've been to Paris multiple times, you know, um, I didn't get into the restaurant scene until recently. I've been exposed to bars and all of these other things. But for me, my my food experiences were all around local, you know, hospitality in their homes.
1: Well, I'm sure you don't need it. But if you want me to send you a list, I'd be happy to do so.
0: Oh, I I got a pretty good list now, but I would love (laughs) to see yours too.
1: Okay. Um, All right, let's switch gears. I want to talk about current events a little bit. Um, especially how it relates to both of our industries. Um, Because I always think that times of stress are super clarifying. And what I mean by that is a couple of different things. I feel that when people's backs are against the wall, you really find out who they are. You know, whether it's a personal experience or if it's the world is being on fire is that people really show you their true colors uh, for better or for worse. And obviously a lot of for worse at the moment. Um, But I think it's, it's, it's clarifying in a way that ultimately I think is good because it cleans out the gutters, so to speak. Um, Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, I try to stay positive about all this stuff. So I think it's, I think that's one Thing yeah that really comes out of all this is that we're clearing, we cl- we're cleaning out a lot of gutters. Um, but for me, I it, a lot of introspection is around like what are my blind spots, and so I I dig a lot into data, and I've been looking at a lot of stats. Where you know it's so funny, you talk about wanting to um, do adventures with skags and and represent um, you know people of color in this space that just are underrepresented. And I was looking at some numbers and African-American travel represents $63 billion. It's a $63 billion business. And it's like, what what is happening right now? And then I was looking at um, like the Bureau of Labor statistics for a lot of um, different professions where, you know, only 70% of chefs uh, and head cooks were black and anywhere from seven to 10% of newsroom employees are black. And Uh, 13% of radio journalists are black. And so I just think that there's, I mean, there's obviously a lot of gutter cleaning to go on. Um, but one of the detractions I hear, and I, I do not subscribe to this, but I wanted to see sort of how you answer this question. Um, because I think it it would be clarifying for a lot of people to sort of, uh, bounce back at it. So when you look at like demographics of the United States, uh, I think it's like 55% white, I think it's 12 to 13% black, it's like 17% Latino. What do you say to people who say, oh, well, you're only 12% of the population, so isn't it good enough if you're 12% of the radio journalists?
0: I think that's an excuse to not change.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. So what do you say for that?
0: Um, I mean, you know... You can only say so much when it comes to trying to explain an experience to someone who could never see it from your viewpoint. Right. Um, It's really hard to have conversations about experiences and, you know, especially when they have negative um, impacts on an entire community. How you explain that to someone that has never experienced racism, that has never experienced uh, being the only person in a room that looks like them, um, who has never had to uh, deal with the classism in addition to the race, right? So you're talking about you know, uh, communities of modest means and the makeup is majority communities of color. And you're talking about wealth ownership. And you're talking about all of these things. It's, it's hard to have these conversations with people who have never experienced that. Right. So unless you have someone that violates you in such a way or you have a friend in your life Who you witnessed being violated in such a way, you don't have the ability to imagine that. So it's hard to to find some kind of common ground, right? Sure, totally. Um, Just on experience, for me, I would say to people that say that, you know, you can't say, imagine if this was blah, 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 or your position. You have to look at it from the, the idea of people saying that they don't hold discriminatory thinking in their mind, that they're not racist, that they're not X, Y, and Z. But their comment is allowing for racist policies and discriminatory policies and hiring practices to continue.
1: Right, it's like talking about because quotas and ceilings and yes, those types of things.
0: exactly, right. exactly. So if you're talking about things like, you know, your response to say Black Lives Matter is all lives matter, or you're saying that I'm not racist, or I, you know, and but you don't have any people that are of color, even in your close friends group. You know, mm-hmm. you've never... Done the work to try and go and visit a neighborhood that is is pretty much you know an an area that is you know minority dominant in their demographic you know um if you if you can't see it for yourself if you can't put yourself in a into a position to support you know communities of color or put yourself in a position to have better hiring practices in these spaces that can lift you know communities of colors voices and storytelling then you you are really honestly a part of the problem and you, you have to sit there and 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 consider why that is why your comfortability is so comfortable that you're not willing to get uncomfortable with the truth that you're a part of the cycle you know
1: yeah well, um, I, also, I also think that like not sorry i didn't mean to cut you off but just as no, from from, tra- from a travel perspective um i just feel so fortunate that i've gotten to see so much of the world good bad ugly first second third world and i find that the more people that you associate with who have those experiences uh the easier it is to talk to really because you can yeah you know, you can, someone can relate in some way, shape, or form. Um, But at the same time, it's also diversity is just interesting. Um, Homogeneity is boring, like, especially from a creative standpoint. Like, why wouldn't you want to have just, you know, divergent viewpoints to just, it's just more interesting, just generally. But I think that's just.
0: Yeah. And I think that's easy for somebody to say who's traveled. Mm Mm-hmm who's gotten out of their community, who's been able to you know, see the world from a, a, a different you know, lens. Um, it's, uh, it's a lot easier when you've allowed yourself to get out of the box that y- you've lived in. You know? um, I remember hearing a, a, um, someone talk about kind of the, uh, the analogy of, of a fish not knowing that it's wet when it's in the ocean. you know, or fish not knowing that it's in water until you take it out. Right.
1: That's such a good, you know, that's really good. I like that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Isn't that really good? That's really good. and,
0: and, And I, you know, I equate that to travel and people's experiences. Like how do you know much of anything if you've never left your hometown?
1: Yeah. I think the one stat that I always, um, I guess both shocked me and reaffirmed everything that basically we we're talking about. And this was before uh, Real ID and they started mandating, you know, passports for Mexico and Canada. But that before those things happened, and this is only within the last few years, is that 10%, I think, of the United States had a passport. And yeah. what else do you need to know at that point? Like, you're just, you're not getting out of your bubble. You're not getting uncomfortable. You're not, you're not seeing the world through other lenses period
0: Yeah I did a, I did this um, my very first I did a, I, I did a couple series uh, hosting things with, for taste made for taste made content okay um, over the course of the last year or two. And one of the first ones that we'd done uh, was um, a, a series that was uh, in partnership with Capital One. And Capital One really, you know, trying to, um, they had done a survey on travelers and why they travel. And they had come to find out that a, a, a heavy percentage of people had been traveling for experiences that were more versed in um, heritage, you know, going to going to a place because they wanted to know about their Irish heritage or where they come from and they wanted their kids to see it. Um, for um, philanthropic experiences, going and, and volunteering for different organizations, um, you know, say from Asia to, through Africa and all of these things going for mm-hmm. kind of missionary things. Um, another part of, um, another percentage of people had traveled because, you know, they wanted to experience a different world. You know, they wanted to really dive into it. I mean, like dive into it deeply, like live there for six months and like, you know, live in Tibet and then come back to, t- to tell the story, yeah, you know,
1: right. um,
0: but everything was purposeful. And that was the uh, the point of the whole series was kind of this purposeful travel. And uh, my coverage was in New Orleans. And I learned... More about New Orleans doing that one series than I had lear- known about New Orleans in all of my travels there as a musician.
1: That's and an all of
0: the series. bits and pieces that make you know, I had no idea that New Orleans was as diverse as it is, you know, even with the Vietnamese population there, mm-hmm. and you know, the melting pot of, of cultural, you know food experiences that you could have in New Orleans. I had no idea until I did that show. Um, you know, and I think it it's a credit to, you know, travel shows like Bourdain, you know, Anthony Bourdain and like Andrew Zimmer and in all of the travel shows that we see today, uh somebody feeds Bill, that really I think has inspired people to go for a purposeful reason, you know, to to get the passport, to take the trip and <laughs> and and try to do the silver linings playbook wine, you know, visits or Whatever it is, it's it's kind of inspiring to yeah. do that, and I think that's maybe why we're seeing an in- increase now, and in people wanting to you know leave the leave the country and, and you know spend the money going to Euro Disney or whatever whatever they're doing with their families that they can make happen. Um, but that's a credit to you know the storytelling that's happening, which is why it's even more important for me and other people that are looking at trying to diversify the space to really start doing that and to telling the stories from a perspective and a viewpoint of, of, of people of color that are considered minorities, that we are the minority here, you know, in the U S and see our lifestyle and get a picture, get a different viewpoint than what you may think, you know, you know.
1: Yeah. I, it's so needed. And I, I just wish you nothing but the best that it becomes successful because I think it's such a nice, um, it's really great that you're attempting to do it. Cause I, there's, it doesn't exist. <laughs> and so, <Yeah. laughs> and it can, it can really inspire people to, to travel. Um, so let's, let's maybe end it on that. But before, before we do, I just want to know like what causes are you supporting? Is there any, 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 um, Organizations you want to give a shout out to both for local restaurants or for uh, Black Lives Matter or any of uh, the current world on fire issues that are happening at the moment.
0: Yes, absolutely. I am going to um, hop on my Instagram for a a brief moment okay? because there is a specific organization that's related more to hospitality um, helping. And I need to pull it off of my friend. my chef friend's page because it is a, it's called the Lee Initiative.
1: Oh yeah, I know is the Lee one. it's great. Yeah. yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, leeinitiative.org is one. Um, if you want to donate to more of a social justice cause that really has an impact on um, uh, youth communities, uh, young communities of color, um, there's an a organization that I was just introduced to called the Youth Justice Coalition um, that focuses on abolishing the juvenile hall and prison prison structures in the United States, um, and they're actively, they're actively, they're having a, a major impact on reducing the amount of incarceration of young people. Um and I, I think that's wonderful. And they they need a lot of support. All
1: right. That's a good one. A um, mm-hmm. couple for me on my end, I would say campaign zero for police reform, uh, the bail fund to help get protesters out of yep. jails. Um, but anyway, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. I I can't wait to see what Adventures with Skaggs becomes. Um, and hopefully uh, at some point we can have a meal together.
0: I would love that. Yeah, that I would, would be, love that.
1: That would be amazing. So, hop on
0: yeah. a, hop on a train and go somewhere.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, meet. Well, so I'm in LA, you're in Nashville. Let's meet in, Hey, we can meet in Denver. So maybe it's, that's a we midpoint. Can meet,
0: you know, I think we could, <laughs> we think we could, I'll be back in LA at some point. Um, so yeah. Well, thank All you right. so much for having me. This was, was a wonderful conversation. Thank yeah, you.
1: Yeah. And super nice to meet you. So thanks again. Nice and, to meet uh, you too. And, and take care.
0: Okay, bye-bye. All Bye right, bye. LA departure frequency 123.9er. Roger.
1: As you can hear, I could have talked to Noelle all day about food and travel, and hopefully I'll get another chance when her site, Adventures with Skags becomes official. In the meantime, check out some of the causes she supports, like the Lee Initiative, which helps independent restaurants struggling through this pandemic, as well as feeding families in need helping restaurant workers who have lost their jobs and pushing for more female representation at the highest levels of the food industry or give to a great social justice cause for young communities of color called the youth justice coalition, which focuses on abolishing juvenile hall prison structures in the United States. Thanks as always for listening and hopefully I'll see you somewhere else around the world on another episode of the Paul cast.